0: Our elders didn't really know what we were supposed to do. I kept asking them to tell me what to do at the time. They kept saying, you, you got to fix things, you got to make it better. Um, they said, don't go to a school and yell at people, because you'll feel better and you'll leave, and then those teachers will yell at the kids. So they're saying, if you're going to go there, go there to make it better. If you're going to a school, treat people with respect and work with them, because if you can convince one teacher to do things better, they're going to have 30 kids in their classroom. They're going to make their lives better as well.
1: It's important for us to take responsibility for our grief and loss. Because if I don't take responsibility for my grief and loss, then someone else is. Bell Hook says, you can't heal what you don't feel. But we don't think about these things inside the academy because it's messy. Oh, oh, do that in private. Oftentimes, the academy just wants reconciliation as an informative process. Just give me the checklist. Instead of a transformative process.
2: Welcome to Walking in Relation, Indigenous Pathways Through Education. Within Indigenous communities, education has always been a community role and responsibility. Our interconnectedness and relationship to each other, to the land, to the waterways, the human and the more than human, is what makes Indigenous communities whole. This gives us a holistic framework of how education could be if we shifted our gaze away from the Western colonial worldview. This concept of being together as one, learning from each other, is core to the understanding of indigenous worldview. By pausing, listening, and reflecting on our surroundings, we will be able to start to understand how much colonialism has taken away from all of us not just Indigenous people. We are inviting you to sit with us as we speak to Indigenous educators as they share their understandings and perspectives about education. I'm inviting you to open up your heart and your mind, to leave stereotypes and judgments at the door. This work is asking you to be a witness and a participant in the hopes that we can shift your understandings of what education is could be. Would you? <laughs> so Hot to know, yep, Carolyn Roberts it is lovely to be here today. We have some amazing artists and educators with us today um, doing this work and I'll just I'll have them introduce themselves. I'm going to pass it over to Splash. You can start for us.
0: Hot to know, Samanci, uh Neek can talk in your uh tinachantla chiachamas um qui homotin uchmeur umunoxten squal in siam in English uh, my name is Aaron Nelson Moody and I'm from Squamish Nation. Thank
2: you. It's
1: wonderful to have you thanks and Justin uh Yeo uh guklot Gukloot Wawactus Himas Do omux. Justin Wilson Klanugu uh, hailstach <laughs> uh, dogoi nugu. talks la tox waglisla. Ganugu guchula la tox nauch. Sukus nugus. du huntlaminum de guenum. Patsuth nugus. du hulkaminum de guenum. Gayasika kasoachthias eki squalus. Eginachwala nugus de guenum. Manukwa Managawala we Not so much Kualowin, Oseum. Not so much Kualowin, Oseum. Not so much Kualowin, Ocm. Uh Good morning, everyone. Um, you're seeing me introduce myself in the hale language. language. Um, you see the House here. I'm on the unseated occupied lands of the colonial place now known as Deep Cove. But I wanted to share just a little bit about who I am and where I come from. Um, and, and one of my intentions for being here today. And my heart is full already listening to the laughter and the authenticity of the wonderful people that are making this possible. Um, and it's my hope to be able to let my sala be of service um, as as I'm here now uh, doing this work. Thank you. Ah, oh,
2: it's beautiful. I agree. Um, When I hear the languages and the thing that always stands out the most for me is the pace of of our languages and and taking that time and that intention. So I'm so thankful for both of you to be here and share that with us today. Um, We will have your article posted on the website, the article, Looking Back to the Potlatch as a Guide to Truth reconciliation and transformative learning. So those who are listening can take a take a read and I highly recommend um, you take a read of this. As I, as I first dug into it and into the introduction, and you both spoke about um, how you stepped into this work and preparing to step into this work. Um, and it really reminded me of Joanne Archibald's being story ready. Right, and it feels like the the time and the intention that it needed to be able to do this work. So I'm wondering if you could elaborate on that for us to be um, paper writing ready for the work. Maybe is that is that the question?
0: <laughs> it's it's funny. I, I um, you know, I went to school. You know, like my like my family wanted me to. They 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 always emphasized me going to school. And uh, what it meant was I was away from home. You know, I missed all the fishing and berry picking medicine gathering and, and funerals um, a lot of funerals and when I was away at college my uh, my grandfather had this uh, realization that he was uh, getting you know nearing his time and sort of uh, very quickly threw together a naming he joined in on someone's naming but I was away at college at the time so um, you know many of my family members got a name and uh, you know I came home and I you know I heard about it after I got home um, you know that, that happens to a lot of our people i think it happens to every every single student or, or every single you know indigenous person who works in an institution we we have to leave home for the most part and we miss out on, on a lot of our community events and it, i was i found myself moving further and further sort of a field and uh, uh when my grandfather passed away i moved i did move back home uh it took me a while but i moved back home and wanted to be part of our community it was you know i realized how important it was to him uh, and all the work he'd done uh, all the unpaid work, all the all the community work he'd done. I want to cont- to continue that. And um, and uh, I, I remember um, my mentor, Hal Acton, his father, late Chief McCalton, uh, was sort of testing me and he got me to repeat some squamish words and he was trying to get me to drum and sing. He He's kind of shaking his head he goes oh you're terrible at that oh you're horrible get a really bad accent oh you, you can't say those words at all and you know, I was just, oh, you know sorry chief and you know i was really discouraged and uh he said but you um you've grown up reading and writing in english and you're the first generation of our people you know you're part of that first generation and he said you went to writing school and we hope you can write write some stuff some of our stuff down and at the time the way he would explain it he said we want you to, to think indian and talk white you know, write some of this stuff down so that, um, you know, people raised reading and writing can understand it and so that teachers can understand it um, and I, I think that was uh, the beginning of it and um, I noticed a lot of people I worked with were, uh, you know, like me, were, were kind of enraged by the, the situation we were in and uh, it got in the way. So um, you know, my mentor, Hal was always saying, you know, when we're carving, we have to do it in a good way. We can't be angry when we carve. We'll not only hurt ourselves. We'll, we'll leave some some of our anger and pain behind for for whoever come and touches the carving afterwards and sort of that teaching uh in particular um made me realize that i had to do this to do this work i had to really heal and uh, had to go out of my way to train to be ready you know to go into a classroom just like we would train you know to do a carving or to go on a canoe trip and uh, it was interesting that, that the teachings are so so parallel but uh you know some of my colleagues would just you just see them so, so enraged sometimes by the way we were treated. They'd just be moving their mouth and they, they couldn't even make a sound. Um, and I got it cause I was, I was just as enraged, but, um, I think through, through my training carving, I realized that uh, I had to let that stuff go. Um, our elders didn't really know what we were supposed to do. I kept asking them to tell me what to do at the time, you know, and, uh, they kept saying, you, you gotta fix things. You gotta make it better. Um, they said, don't go to a school and yell at people because you'll feel better and you'll leave. And then those teachers will yell at the kids. So they're saying, if you're gonna go there, go there to make it better. Um, You know, if you wanna go yell, go into the woods and yell, you know, but if you're going to a school, treat people with respect uh, and work with them because if you can convince one teacher to do things better, you know, they're gonna have 30 kids in their classroom. They're gonna make their lives better as well. So they kept encouraging me, but they never really told me what I was supposed to do and uh, we had to figure it out. So, um, um, you know, People in particular, Justin and I have been working together for a couple of years now, and uh, we've been figuring uh, a lot of this stuff out together.
1: Splash, it's really interesting because you know, Splash and that was talking about how he paddled up to Bella Bella and potlatched, at, you know, up all the, up and down the coast, and when he was struggling with some things as a human being, and then he made it here to Bella Bella. He always jokes around. I don't know if he's serious or not. He calls Bella Bella the center of the universe. You know, and I, I think about the Hamatsa and the Tanis. you know, some of these really important things. And then fast forward, I'm completing my PhD. And for me, it's about coming home. If it wasn't for Splash, I don't know if I would have made it home. And It's, it's fascinating because, you know, we talk about Verna and and Ray's work about reciprocity. So here I am fast forward. I don't know what's that splash 25 years, 30 years after the paddle and now splash is brought all of those teachings back to me. And, you know, sitting around, I'm thinking about Leonard George this morning, elder Ernie, you can't see where I am now, but he's, he's visiting me a lot lately these days. Um, it it really feels like coming home in a in a very humble way, you know, which is very different than what the Academy expects of you, you know, to be alive from here up. And uh, you know, the difference between I, I heard one of our elders, um, our new in Bella Bella say your words have less value when they don't match your actions. Mm-hmm. You know, and every single word in our language is a verb. When we introduce ourselves, we introduce ourselves in the future tense. So what's really interesting to answer your question is, in terms of my positionality, I'm at this stage of life now where all and to borrow from Splash's terms, to leave a trail of breadcrumbs for the Sassam that are coming next. Now I feel like I'm finally the more education that I have, the more skills, knowledge, abilities, or other attributes that I have, that needs to be of service in something greater than just publications or affirmations, research affirmations, to borrow from Denise Finley's, you know, notions of lateral kindness. But I do want to say this, um, some things that are important, um, that I'm seeing now uh, is our Gwe'ilas. Splash, I think you call it your Chiach, you know, the Skohomish peoples, your Chiach. Uh, These are our laws as the Heilslach peoples, and that's based on the notions of Chachla, respect. I was listening to Tyson Yunkaporta's book on Sand Talk, and he was talking about, you know, the, you know, some of the... I can't pronounce the tribe or the people. Forgive me, Tyson. But he was talking about how things get done, and respect is the foundation. And then it's about connecting, and then it's about reflecting, and then it's about directing. Um, the other aspect of it is Patsua, which is this notion of being resourceful working hard. There's a lot of work to be done. And I splash always your treaty with the salmon people, the Chiakimis reminds me that no matter what we're doing in this world, it's I feel like I was swimming upstream against the current because I'm operating in a system, a neoliberal dehumanizing system that cares more about enrollments than human dignity. That's an interesting bit in and of itself to be sala you know is is the to me this is the ultimate virtue uh it's a combination of discernment and 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 gravitas and this has a lot to do with splash one day we were sitting it took us i don't know how many years to write that article splash three And that was a lot of breakfasts and and little mini potlatches and telling stories. And it was beautiful. It, 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 I just can't describe the feeling of slowing things down and being in relationship. And all of these stories came out and a funny story. I, I just don't have time to tell, but Splash wasn't just sitting there as, you know, he would often, you know, I didn't realize he was analyzing me. And I'm supposed to be the psychologist. <laughs> and that's another story I'll get to later. Uh, balance, nuatsi, right? Um, of our thoughts, our, our feelings, our mind. Uh, the notion of kwakwialas ech, which are good thoughts, kind of like not so much kwaluan, walasukh, um, to be kind. And hikila, um, to, to, to do something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? To do something. Mm-hmm. Um, to be truthful is uh something that we refer to as uh or haikila to 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 make things right. Um we told so many great stories and the Hayesuk people, you know, we were fierce. We still are very fierce, and you know, we were products. Of both genocide and we propagated genocide. We had slavery, we had caste, we still have these things. And it's always really interesting is that human dignity kept coming back more and more to the forefront. The reason I mentioned Sala is because, and I'll end here, is... When Splash and I were sitting down talking about the Skohomish and talking about Haystuck and some of the similarities or differences when we potlatch and we do work, one of the things that came up was uh, rites of passage. Because, you know, oftentimes this is something that doesn't get talked about enough. When I look at you, Utes, we we call you Utes in Bella Bella. I'm really proud of you. I kind of feel like an uncle. Uh, you you have far more joy. You're further ahead than I was when I was in school, you know, where it, school was weaponized and still is weaponized to make us and condition us into being the Indian. Um. But one of the things Splash and I were talking about is uh, we were reflecting on Kim Anderson's book, and the different stages of life and whatnot, and and I, and I said, what was what was Gohomish's version of rites of passage? And we looked, and Splash, you know, he has that thing he does his raven thing, you know, <laughs> you know, and he's thinking. And and if I remember correctly, he, Splash, you were saying it's there was only one. You're you're a Ute, and then you grow up. So check this out, okay? Ready? Huddle up, huddle up. But I love this stuff. I'm going to nerd out on you for a second. One of the things I was doing just recently was I've in the last year, it's important for us to take responsibility for our grief and loss. Because if I don't take responsibility for my grief and loss, then someone else is. And oftentimes we don't think about these things inside the academy because it's messy. Oh, Oh, do that in private. You know, uh, Bell Hooks, the late Bell Hooks says you can't heal what you don't feel. And oftentimes the academy just wants transfer uh, reconciliation as an informative process. Just give me the checklist. Yep. Instead of a transformative process. But Splash says this. Yeah, it's only about growing up. One day I was thinking I was doing some work you know, related to the Federation of Post-Secondary Educators, dealing with a lot of structural racism, gaslighting. Uh, you know, these systems don't see us. And if mm-hmm. they do see us, they see us in the lens of an Indian. And to make a long story short, I was reflecting on this in my body, taking responsibility for my grief and loss, and then it, it dawned on me. If I'm going to be Sala in the Hesukwe, I have to be kind, respectful, resourceful. Tell the truth. To be kind, all of these things. But check this out: we own, the word in our language, the phrase in the Haystoke language, as for a rite of passage, is literally "salaxi." Uh, if you're commanded to do something, it's it's "seat." You you add "xit" at the end. And it, and I, it was like a mic truck moment for me. It does it literally mean grow up. I know. Right. I can see <laughs> Carolyn smiling. I did the same thing. I span around in, I spun around in my chair and I'm like, wow, thanks a lot. You know, because I'm like, that's if, if the salmon can do it, mm-hmm. so can I. Mm-hmm. We're always taking the high road, doing that good story work. So, for me, I just want to end here to answer your question. In when we started this work, it was done with love and joy. Mm-hmm. It was about that feeling of home away from home that people felt themselves. They were laughing. We connected. We had food, and we were nourishing one another. It was based on relationality more than anything. Um, and of course you know, you could potlatch for a whole number of things. I'll end here and and just say that the Academy doesn't like to include cultural and spiritual things uh, when it comes to doing work. And I've been reflecting on that since the invitation to do this. And I wonder if it's because we're transparent.
2: Mm, Right.
1: With our intentions.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: There's no opportunity to co-opt anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, splash, what was that word in your language when you you know the school, we were talking about all the bad words in language in language and the scohoma, she said it was to be grabby like the crow. <laughs> you know, the academy loves to get grabby. <laughs> they need to keep their hands to themselves. I don't know if they took that module. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's just when we do transparent work, it's done so that everyone becomes an ethical witness. Anyway, these are just a few preliminary thoughts about, uh, and the one thing I will say is I want to thank Helistes, Pauline Waterfall from Bella Bella. She messaged me, I Splash, you were there. I think we were having breakfast and Auntie Pauline, she, she messaged me on Facebook and I'm like, Uh, You know, and it had two words. It said mortuary poll. After the TRC preliminary report came out, she challenged us to do something meaningful. Mm. And when we honor the children, when we think about all the murdered missing women and girls, this was important. And I won't get into that right now, but we all know that we're still grieving in uh, a lot every time we turn on the television, and we know that there are more mass burial sites mm-hmm. coming, and we're talking about those little ones.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, it was it was her; she challenged us, and then I remember Splash. He's like, "What's that?" And I I read it to him, and I could he did his little Raven thing again, and and he immediately said. Let's do something. And then we got involved. We got invited into the Dean's meeting and the provost was there. All of these fancy titles were there and they proceeded to denigrate. You leave, leave this up to the people who have PhDs. Mm, yeah. Oh, that was so insulting. Mm. It was humiliating. And I remember looking at splash. He looked at, we did, we both did. I, that's where I get my Raven kink. I'm doing it now. And we looked at one another and I watched him. He didn't take ownership of it. It's like my Angelo. Don't pick it up. Don't put it down. And we listened. And, and I remember what he said to this day. And they kept asking, what's your methodology? What's your methodology? And I said something like, well, to be honest, we're kind of making this stuff up as we go along. <laughs> when it came time for Splash to, uh, to speak, he simply said, if I remember correctly, you said, uh, uh, we haven't agreed to do anything yet. So what's beautiful about this is that even when all of the yucky stuff was being pushed onto us, we finished. Mm-hmm. And we laid it at the feet of the Langara uh, College. Mm. And and we did our work. We honoured what we said we do. And uh, it's been a transformative journey ever since. And, of course, that led into the article. Um, but, yeah, I'll leave it there. I, I've got so many <laughs> cool stories I want to nerd out about. But <laughs> we, won't, we'll, we won't get out of here. It'll be like a three-day potlatch.
2: Right? <laughs> When I talk to pre-service educators and, and other educators that are out there in in the field, uh, I talk about this relationality and these the relationship at the core of things and you both spoke to it beautifully. And in your in your work you asked this question, does our teaching practice consistently model relationality, kindness, and generosity? So I'm wondering if you could elaborate on your thoughts about how do we create that relationality in the educational spaces that we're, that we go out into?
0: It's a good question. Uh, (laughs) As Justin said, we're kind of making this up as we go. Um, Yeah, it's really hard to answer that in a general way, uh, except to say that we have very little control over what other people do. Mm -hmm. And um, our only hope is to, um, you know, direct our own growth. You know, to to look after ourselves, and to to live it, um, to to model it, and that means you know in the in those tar- those hard moments, you know, when we're dealing with administrators, um, you know, we have to have to remember our own humanity, not accept, you know, uh, people's people's vision of ourselves. And uh, I was I was lucky, very very lucky uh, to work with Justin, and um, honestly, no matter what we were sharing, uh, our students, whether they're you know faculty or or um, uh students at the schools, they they often commented on our the way we interacted with each other, which I found very interesting. Um, so we were, you know, hopefully modeling what we were talking about, and uh, you know, of course, we don't agree on everything, and we have very different backgrounds in some ways, but um, but but tremendous respect for each other, and um, and for the students. Um, I, I was mentioning uh, Chief Vakultan earlier, who's um, you know you know, very, very carefully telling me I didn't know how to speak Swamish properly uh, or sing very well. And, you know, he's laughing about it. And um, so I was like, well, what, what is it, what is it you want me to do? Like, how, what is, like, if there's an old position in our community, like a traditional position in our community, what, 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 what would it be that I'm, I'm doing in the schools? And he kind of laughed. He was thinking about it for a while. And he's like, you're like a sheepdog. And he said, uh, our, our people are being scattered. Like we can't live together anymore on these little plots of land. And we can't work here anymore on our territory. We can't hunt and fish like we used to. So our people are being scattered. And, uh, you know, kids are growing up without very much interaction, you know, with ceremony or with the land or, or with each other. So he said, we'd like you to round them up and send them home. Um, uh, and I thought that was such a beautiful beautiful analogy. It's kind of goofy, it makes me laugh too, but um, there's so many, you know, urban students now and it would be a shame you know, if we didn't step up and look after them, if they're on our territory, I believe we owe them hospitality and care, uh, just as we always have. Um, and what that means is, um, we have to act like aunts and uncles to them. Um, and you know, my aunts and uncles loved me just as much as my mother, but they gave me a, more, a bit more strict. Like I didn't go to my mother to teach me to drive; I went to my my aunt and my uncle, and uh, they were firm. You know, they were really strict with me. And, uh, you know, when my mother wasn't around, they were, and, uh, I think historically in Squamish, if you got in trouble, you did something kind of haywire, they would go, you know, tell your aunt or uncle and they would, they would give it to you, you know, like your mom, you know, loves you too much. Your dad loves you too much. They, you know, maybe a bit soft on you, but your aunts and uncles would just tell you the way it was. And maybe you could hear it from them in a different way than your parents. So anyways, I think we, we, we have to love our students and, uh, think about, think about helping them get home. Um, we, we've seen students who don't know anything um, about where they come from. They've been fostered out or, or abandoned or, or just left to their own devices for, for so long. And, um, you know, in Squamish, we're kind of harsh. We're kind of harsh on our relatives when they don't, they don't say a word properly or they don't understand all the protocols or, you know, we're, we're hard on each other um we were hard on the people who return from residential school and we're hard on students when they come home from from college Uh, i'm not sure when that started in our community because i don't think that's how we used to act but we do it now um and i think i think i've seen students we were talking about the salmon i think i've seen students like salmon may have never really lived where they come from but nothing nothing stops them from getting home um, you see them swim through an inch of water, you know, up upstream, you know, jump over rapids. The determination we see in the Salmon people, I find very inspiring. And I see it in our students. They might not exactly know where they come from, but they know they're desperate to get home. Mm. And wouldn't it be a shame, you know, if our Squamish people sent our relatives to a school and the host nation didn't look after them, didn't involve them in ceremony, or didn't bring them to a feast? So, you know, our elders here, I, I got to sit with them once a month when I first started my work in education. And they said, they're, they're your kids. Look after them. You know, I don't care where they come from. You know, you look after them and, uh, and help them get home. So, you yeah, know, that was, that was a big part of what we're doing. And when you think about it that way, I think it's impossible not to be in a relationship.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think it's, a, it's the, the place we're supposed to be starting from. You know, we're not just using a mallet to jam some information into their heads and, and think that's good enough. Um, I think we have a, a larger responsibility. And mm-hmm. I, I think that our work is putting pressure on the institutions and showing some of the gaps in education. Because um, we're not alone in thinking this way. There's a lot of people who wish um, they they could fit into the school a little better, wish they could do mm-hmm. their job a little bit more, a bit more mm-hmm. human way. So I think we're just showing... Um, we're just going to like shining a spotlight on, on, on holes in the education system.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fully agree.
0: Lots
1: of stuff came up. Yeah. Um, this is, before I go down the rabbit hole on this question, <laughs> there's um, some context. I always like to provide some context. Um, You know, when I first did this work, I I was laughing earlier and joking that, you know, I was supposed to be the trained psychologist and, you know, all of that and a bag of potato chips and Splash would be looking at me like a piece of wood carving around the knots, you know, and I caught him one day and uh, I'm like, are you are you analyzing me? Are you you're looking at me like a piece of wood? And he goes, as a matter of fact, I am. I remember some of the early stories that he would say is he would tell me stories, for example, from the late Simon Baker who challenged him and, and three other youths. And one of the other elders, when you worked at the, um, the, the learning space splash, I can't remember who, but if you're going to work with me, he was like, you know, if you're going to work with the young people, you can't be drinking and, and carrying on. It was at that moment, you know, I I don't want to admit this, but I will on camera. Some of my best grading moments were when I'd be sipping on port. (laughs) And uh, I'd be listening to music. I'd be in the zone grading. And, And then I started realizing that if I'm going to be a conduit, if I'm going to invoke the ancestors 400 miles away from home, If I'm going to be in relationship to the ancestors that have been here for so long, they're now part of this house, they're in this space, then I need to be a better conduit. I can't be a conduit if I'm co opting the spirit. I need to be whole. And I took that very seriously. And I was a little resentful for about a year or two because, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I love sipping on port. And now <laughs> a grading has never been the same. <laughs> but that might be a good thing. The other thing I wanna say, I wanna give uh, props to Michelle Pigeon right now. When Aboriginal Studies at Langara was where I, I teach, uh, very grateful to them as an employer because I was able to be in the classroom while I was doing my schoolwork, um, finishing things up. Excuse me. She was there as um, uh, during our program review process. And one of the things she mentioned to me was one house in many rooms. Hmm. You know the academy is notorious. I'm thinking about Linda Twy Smith right now. They they just love to pretend like it's Western knowledge all of a sudden. But in actuality, they have appropriated these things from indigenous communities around the world. One of the things about relationality is like Splash is saying I'm on Splash's homelands thinking i was entitled to something maybe i was struggling with grief and loss maybe i had internalized all of this humiliation about what it means to be an indian a commodity i mean there are more children in care now than at the height of residential school as an industry
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you were talking about the prison to pipeline you know um assembly line Mm -hmm. and what is the role of higher learning in this process. Mm. One house, many rooms to me really represents the the, the greatest symbolism is like Splash is saying, reminds me of Stanley Park. This this is the the context. All of these house posts were erected that were not from Splash's ancestors
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and thereby relegating them invisible and it, I think it was, uh, if I was at Susan Point who put up the, the, the house posts, and we took a field trip there and, and Splash, of course, he never really, he's like one of those old elders, you know, like, you know, you're like, what does that mean? And he's like, mm, I don't know. Mm, I don't know. You know, and I'm like, yeah, just give me the answer. You know, look at my eyebrows. He reminds me of shade. You know, he's got those big bushy eyebrows. He wouldn't tell us, but I quietly walked around while he was, sharing a lot of stuff and I was looking at the position of where Susan put the house posts and it was like they were collecting us. So ever since I saw that to me, home represents relationality means we are going to create a symbolic learning embassy, one house, many rooms. And if like, I love the notion now about what does it mean to be an uh, an uncle so I'll give you an example. I'm teaching work psychology over at Capilano University, and uh, I've dedicated the entire term to, you know, some of the new buzzwords are justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And I'm like, okay, what? You know, I'm thinking about David Newhouse, one of my other mentors. Yes, yes, but what does it all mean? What does it all mean? Last class, I had a non-indigenous young man. Uh, I was telling a story about how in a former life, I used to be a bouncer at the old Biltmore, <laughs> you know, and I, back then I was in a different life stage. You know, I got access to all of the VIP stuff and, you know, all of the after parties and whatnot. And I was saying we, the, the, the week's lecture was about training and development. So I was recalling the best piece of advice I got uh, in in training was from the person who was this old, old bouncer, who was about to retire. And he had said something like this. He was, you know, it was my first day of training. He goes, what do you think conflict means, Justin? I'm like, I don't know, but are we going to learn some judo moves and stuff? (laughs) You know, that was in my mind, but he simply said, look, you see this cup of coffee? You know, sometimes a simple cup of coffee can go a long way. The best conflict is no conflict. Now, I don't know if you young people get out there and cut a little rug once in a while. Um, But month end was always really busy. And uh, I was new on the job. It was really super busy, crowded. And then there's this one older guy who was... um, having a rough time. He was getting very belligerent and he was starting to get violent. And my training kicked in. Rather than call, he just happened to be seated in my section, right? And rather than call for backup, I just quietly went up, grabbed a cup of uh, coffee and I walked over to that man and I said, excuse me. I said, my name is Justin. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? And he looked at me like, like, he was angry, right? But then he, he just was completely in that moment disarmed by my humility and my, my positive intention. And I just simply said, there's people are getting a little afraid of you. And I said, can you just have a cup of coffee? And maybe if you want, we can chat. So not even five minutes later, you know, he's sipping on his coffee. He's motioning me to come over. And he, in the middle of the, the Biltmore, just starts wailing his wife had died. Hmm. So fast forward to my class, I'm telling the story, like I just love story work. Mm -hmm. And there's this at the end of class, I always like to do this little closing exercise, like what's been the value for you today. Mm -hmm. And this young non indigenous man who's probably he's in the welding industry, he just simply says, and in the most sincere way he could. Wow. He, and he starts to well up. He goes, Justin, I want to be like you. and mm-hmm. You have no idea how this changed my life. Here's the thing. Every, I don't look at it. I'm, I don't know what the academy expects of me. I have this learning, <clears throat> this, this employment contract. But I also have this psychological, spiritual contract. And I don't teach anymore. Every single class that I have is a potlatch. Mm. And for me, in that moment, it was really just about being an uncle, helping people grow, giving them a sense of home, challenging them to be better versions of themselves you know, Carolyn, I, I don't know if I'm going to butcher this. You know, uh, Evelyn Voyager teaches me some stuff all the time. And, you know, she, she says, when we greet one another, we greet you in your highest potential. And then when you leave, we ask you to leave in your highest potential. Mm. And you're right. Like Splash was challenging me to be a better version of myself. You know, this caste system that we have inside the academy is, is stifling. It smothers creativity, innovation, and vulnerability. When for indigenous folks, especially, or anyone who's racialized, objectified, or sexualized is conditioned to be invisible,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because this keeps the social control mechanisms going. In a lot of ways, when I teach, I'm teaching people how to be subversive. And I wanna thank um, Rod McCormick for teaching me that. Because the academy doesn't incentivize that. Matter of fact, they want that out of the system. Mm -hmm. But that's a whole nother story. So relationality to me just means being kind and being generous. Mm-hmm. I once had a director of Indigenous Education and Services tell me that shit doesn't work. <laughs> Notice the that I'll never forget that expression. <laughs> this person had a lot of power. Yeah. And I felt pity. Mm-hmm. It also reminded me that this is exactly what we need to do. If I'm a Heyslok person on someone's unseated occupied lands trying to do good work and I'm supported by my uncle,
2: mm-hmm.
1: wow, how much further ahead are you youths going to be? Mm-hmm. We need more of that. That's what relationality means to me. That and smiling and laughing and dancing and singing, you know, yeah, that too.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I'm writing and taking notes as we go along. You both touched on this really beautifully and you wrote in your paper about Chain Point talking about what reciprocity is and that reciprocity piece was going to be your highest self. The best way to honor his generosity was to reciprocate. And when he said we would, he would simply smile and say, Show me.
0: We claim to be doing a lot of things, and you just smile and say, Well, show me, you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk more about that for our listeners about reciprocity?
0: There was um, sort of a parallel during um, the Truth and Reconciliation uh, carving project we were doing together. You know we had shane come in on the first day and i i think i i told him i asked him if he'd come in and and talk about some stuff i guess literally what i said to him and he showed up and he said that out loud he said well splash nice asked me to talk about stuff and my you know my boss was just like horrified that i would say something like that um and of course he just sort of you know asked shane to show up and he's 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 a genius he's brilliant um he's profound um he started singing with his rattle and the power went out in that, that wing of the, the building for some reason, just while he was singing. And then it came back on afterwards. I don't know what that was about, but he just seems like that kind of guy. Um, during, during this project, um, he, he, you know, he just, he showed up every Friday. He just kept coming for free. Just came and sat in the corner and doled out funny stories and profound wisdom all mixed together. And, and it was just, um, just like a family member, you know, sitting in the bleachers of a longhouse while you were doing your work, just just there for you. And a lot of our students, you know, went and sat and talked to them uh, quite a bit because it was challenging work, uh, very, very challenging work. But sort of parallel to that work, we we, we needed a design. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd done a, a piece for the 2010 Olympics and uh, we were lucky we fought to get the rights back to our designs. So I had this thing rolling around um, in my shop this design with four salmon on it and um you know justin kept talking about abundance like the abundance our people had we were we were absolutely wealthy you know historically you know we were able to build houses for each other and, and feed you know an entire potlatch uh and it it meant that when we gathered this abundance we shared it um that was that was very important and we left behind abundance as well which is equally important you know for the next generation so we 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 kind of decided to do this um, design with four stamina on it, kind of a spindle world design. And, uh, you know, Justin kept telling these really interesting, he just kept using that phrase, this abundance that we had, and that we're trying to get back to abundance of spirit, abundance of joy, you know, um, abundance of our relatives and, and culture around us. And it just sort of became an analogy for us. So we, we ended up giving the design, we we signed it over to Langara College. And uh, in in a funny way, it's a gift, but it's also a bit of a challenge. What what will you do with this? How how will you use it? And they really wrestle with it. Uh, you know, they 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 take it seriously, and they they think, can we use it like this? Can we just make a t-shirt, or can we just give it print? And you know, they really wrestle with the responsibility of it, um, what it what it means to to be given something like that. And I think in the old days, they might. I don't think any institution really thought about it like that, but. In today's world, they um, they see it as a responsibility, as a gift that uh, they're responsible for sharing in a good way. Uh, uh, I really admire that um, in the people who work in the institution. So that uh, it was sort of interesting. So we uh, it's been used in a variety of ways, but uh, um, we're we're kind of I mean honestly we we kind of handed the the project to them on a silver platter. We've both been working on this our whole adult lives. Our elders have been working on this for the generation before us. Um, they've been trying to figure out how to how to interact with the general public, how to teach in a good way. Uh, we've we've spent a lot of our lives gathering information and we had it all ready to go. You know, all they had to do was ask us nicely. Um, and uh, honestly, they kind of bungled that at the time as well. Um, <laughs> we, we didn't we even actually said about that, but they were they were saying they were kind of willing to hire me, even though I didn't have a real education. Even though I wasn't really educated properly. And they kept saying it over and over again. And that's when Jess and I looked at each other and I said, I think they're asking I think they're asking us to do this work for them. I think they're I think this is a job offer. Um and it just kept it was it was excruciating. They were trying to explain how uneducated how truly uneducated I was. Um and that that's and then they started demanding what our methodology would be, you know, in teaching it. And I said to go ahead and agree to anything and this is a job offer it's you know it's not great uh, um and they were just so desperate i think they were so hopeful and they were just tripping and stumbling over their words and really big concepts they weren't really sure how to express Um, i don't think they were trying to be mean i just think that you know this stuff's confusing and it would be a shame if i just got all riled up and stormed out because a lot of good work wouldn't have happened but we had to process it Justin and i spent a lot of time processing all the all the slights you know all the all the insults uh, we have to go and do something with that so we don't walk in the next day and, and bring it back to our classes um yeah I, uh, I guess i mean that's the thing right like uh we we're talking about story work um what what do we do with all these teachings we we gather you um, know if we marched in there and started telling students what to do you know what a what a, what a profound arrogance that would be. I know what you should be doing. I know who you are and what you ought to be doing. Um, I think it's why our people tend to sit in circles and we, we tend to lay our teachings down at the feet of each other so people can pick up what they need. Um, and you see someone living a good life, you know. I think you want that too. And you start to be curious how they got that good life. And you start to maybe pay a bit more attention when they speak or, or watch how they move in the world. Um, I, th- I think that's why why we need to walk in such a good way when we're in those schools why we need to live up to our own teachings um the elders when i was hired said you can do whatever you want and we'll love you you can be totally haywire and we'll still love you but we won't want you working with our youth so if you're going to work with our youth do it in a good way make things better for them you know just don't go yell at teachers to make yourself feel better and then storm out Mm
2: -hmm. because
0: the kids will have to pick up the pieces of that they'll have to live with the, the lateral violence after that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we could kind of roll up, we talk about this stuff a lot. I mean, Justin and we've, we've, we've been bouncing around all this stuff. Um, uh, for years, we've been trying to figure out what exactly we're supposed to be doing. But I think what we're supposed to be doing is, um, I, I think like in Squamish education, we didn't Justin was, you know, referring to the two stages we had, we were kids, and we were kind of held away from our, the real serious teachings like we're going to a ceremony but you're just a kid so you get to stay home play with your cousins or you get to go outside and play because we're doing important work in here and eventually the kids get kind of you know i'm ready and uh they would kind of have to prove it in some way they would be challenged to to show how serious they were about doing something and there would be funny little different challenges for different youth depending on what they were doing but they'd kind of have to work their way in they'd have to earn their way in the door and i think that's important So after you went through a coming of age, sort of training or ceremony, um, the parents would take a step back. parents would no longer say, I know what you should be doing. They would just, the parents would just say, I love you and I support you. And I know you know how to earn your own teachings. So in a way, I think we do that in the classroom. We know the the students are smart. We, We know they can read a book. You know, we don't think of indigenous learners as being somehow subpar to other students. We know they're smart so some of our work is simply in supporting them in that work and i think it plays a larger a larger role than than some institutions admit to be uh, like the auntie or the uncle in the room and to have faith in the students and to help them where they need it but um, train them to learn train them to earn their teachings um, to live in a good way do something important with their teachings
2: I think about that when, when working with, with pre-service teachers and teachers. And I tell people that we can't get anywhere if we're angry. And if we speak angrily and we do this work in an angry way, because then they're not going to listen. So there's that fine balance of then how do we how do we move into it so that they want to move into it. And yeah, and it's an invitation to come in.
1: Gosh, I, I'm just feeling so much abundance today, mm-hmm. uh, this morning. What a great way to wake up. You know, the old saying, uh, education is the new buffalo. Mm. Um, In our case, you know, thinking about context, you know, you could see that, you know, the Heisak are also cedar and salmon people. And I think about the life cycle. You know, once they they know that their their lifespan is over and then they become part of the trees and the trees become part of our house the trees become part of our gilwas our canoes that help us sustain and nourish so in our case salmon you know education is the new salmon but what do we do with the salmon mm. you know back in 1969 when we you know we're we're looking at the non um uh i don't want to pick on any disciplines right now okay please don't take this the wrong way you know looking at um you know archaeology or anthropology and and you know george clutacy's book you know talked about potlatch uh, from the neutron perspective You know, and I look back at some of, and and Splash, you probably remember, like I got into this huge data mining where I started looking at different versions of everything that I could find that was written on potlatch. And it was often written from a travel perspective. You know, Mary Louise Pratt calls it travel writing. Uh, And then, of course, the Academy likes to think it's scientific and 100% objective. The truth is, is that they were writing about our people and they called the power potlatch systems very egotistical. Can you just imagine (laughs) just for a second? This is another huddled up moment for me. Splash and I are at the World Indigenous Peoples Conference in Education. And some of the the Mohawk elders uh, were saying things like, look around. We have stories of this place. We still have people alive that remember stories of this place where the trees were so thick and so tall that you could walk for four days without seeing the sun. And then can you just imagine being on a boat for so long and getting here and like thinking, looking around and thinking, oh my God, we have hit the mother load. Oh, I want what you have. You know that grabby thing again,
2: <laughs> right?
1: One of the things I love about the of 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 Shane, Uncle Shane, is how he said things. You know, he he said something that I'll never forget. He said, "You know, Justin, I'm going to get into. I like personifying people because they help me remember." It. He'd say, "Justin, do you know how many people I've helped get a PhD?" I can't keep count. Mm-hmm. They want to know about snow White. And I help them. And I get a hundred bucks and they get a PhD.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: To me, as a Haysluck person situated on the unseated occupied lands of people who have been here for so long that it's important for me to be of service. And and Shane would simply say, show me. Show me, Justin. I will say this. This is a very personal story for me. Remember I was talking about grief and loss earlier? Mm -hmm. That anger? You know, if, if those things impede our relationality, And maybe we do have good reason to be angry. And I'm talking here about constructive forms of anger. The tokenization, the co-optation of not seeing the positive intentions translate into transformation was stifling for me. So I made the mistake of commiserating with Uncle Shane about it. And we were sitting down in the coffee shop and he was listening to me go on and on for about half an hour. And he just sat there and he didn't say a word. And then he simply, when I was done, I looked at him and he said, are you done? (laughs) And my eyes got big and I'm like, Oh, here it comes. He said, Justin, are you Huamah or are you Indian? That was a mic drop moment for me. Mm. It was at that moment that I realized that to go home for me symbolically means going back to our ancestral laws our guayolas, our chi, or in Splash's case, our, you know the chia. I'm not giving away my chalchue anymore, my power. You know, the best we can hope for is the laughter and the joy and the abundance of doing work together in a non-egotistical way. So oftentimes, we in the academy love to think we're gods
2: sorry <laughs> that
1: we're above you know yeah exactly we're above <laughs> animalistic tribal primitive behavior and you know we're rich i, I don't want to sound like that silly old scotia bank commercial you might have to edit that out you're richer <laughs> than you think but we our people are rich mm-hmm. and yet we walk around thinking we're indian mm-hmm. You know, who controls these taxonomies? You know, and I'm thinking about, you know, um, Sean Wilson talking about axiologies. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, show me is literally about every time I go into a class, all I want to do is I just, you know, you come prepared to talk about your current situation, what's going on in your life and then we do the work. Whatever work that might be as yes, according to the 13 to 15 week course outline. <laughs> but for me the ultimate is to like that young man I was mentioning earlier is to inspire transformation. Here's the thing about anger because you brought you brought it up earlier. Anger is actually a secondary emotion. And it could be, you could be using anger to mask shame. And, you know, like I think about one of the capstone courses for Indian residential schools was called The Evils of Being Indian. That was a capstone course. I think we've changed a little bit. Mm -hmm. And yet, we've not changed. I think things have become a little more non-salient, more covert. And there's grief and loss. And because our potlatches, our potlatch system was our main mechanism for rites of passage, including right last rites, is we would always have settlement feasts. We would always celebrate life. And I'll forgive me. Ah. Or dear sister's funeral. It was so beautiful up in Chiakamas. And I'll never forget what, you know, one of the nuwagami said is, this is, the truth is, is that we're the poor ones, he said. And they carried our dear sister off into the spirit world. The reason I get choked up about that is because in the last, when Splash and I were doing this work, Shane was doing it for free until we, we said, that's not how we do things. Reciprocity is a real important thing. We counted, what, 14 people in our communities, between the two of our communities that transitioned to the spirit world. There was a lot of grief and loss. Mm-hmm. In Bella Bella, just in December, we had I had four of my second cousins pass of COVID. We had four elders transition to the spirit world. And these are people who had a huge impact on my life. My dear Auntie Helistes, you know, was talking to me about the importance of carrying on her work because she didn't know how much time she had left in this, in, in this physical realm. So it's falling on our generation now. And, and I'll end here. One of the things we asked about Shane in terms of show me is Shane Sat us down when, when we were talking about this, and he just simply looked at us in a in an uncle kind of way and said, It's on your generation now, you two. He 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 said, if this is the canoe, this is the Gilwa, and this is the water, he goes, You're that little bubble. Right in front of the bow of the canoe. I've often thought about that. You know, so this reminds me of Simon. This reminds me of every time I get the honor of sitting down and and being in a canoe with Splash. Show me to me means you value indigenization, whatever that means. You want to humanize the disciplines. You want to decolonize, which I don't think we'll ever get to decolonization again. So I think the best we could hope for is to be human. Like Leonard George was saying, to be human. Human.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: roll up your sleeves, grab a paddle, and let's train. 30,000 strokes a day, eh, bro?
0: <laughs> Learning
1: how to row in unison. And it's fascinating to watch academics or or provosts or pre- presidents who like to think they're beyond paddling. And they think they have the authority to delegate and, and finger wag and say, let's go chase that whale. Mm-hmm. And then the people are like, hmm, we need to learn to paddle in unison. No matter what we're feeling, we have work to do. So show me. I just love it. You can't see it now, and I don't have it on, but Splash carved this beautiful uh, paddle for me. Um, You know, it has the Coast Salish eye, kind of like Sauron, you know? We got our eye on you, Justin. (laughs) no i'm kidding i'm kidding i don't mean it like that but it's funny though if if we've been dehumanized enough and we've been bullied enough sometimes we end up creating what we fear most in life so to me show me means being very patient Mm -hmm. even when someone is dehumanizing you you've got to go back to the laws To help see you through just like those salmon Mm -hmm. it's a really big deal that show me part um and of course here's here's where i am on this it's interesting you know like i've got a few years and some of you folks remember oka Mm
2: -hmm.
1: oka translated into the royal commission on aboriginal peoples yeah the Royal Commission translated into he- the Healing Foundation. Mm-hmm. The Healing Foundation spun over into, uh, you know, the TRC. The TRC had a sunset, and where are we now? Mm-hmm. So it seems like every five years we got these new acronyms, you know. And the new one was, is 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 Jedi, but it's interesting. The J always seems to get truncated.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, a good potlatch is something that results in transformation, that results in something that becomes law. And the academy doesn't want to share or give up what it has. Mm -hmm. And that makes it difficult for people who are navigating, like Albert Marshall, Elder Marshall says, walking in two worlds inside a neoliberal machine that loves to co-opt and appropriate mm-hmm. i have a feeling going forward you young people are going to have to contend with far more austerity mm-hmm. the challenge is related to academic col- and cultural freedom and for me show me means let's operationalize the articles in undrip that talk about you know Cultural continuity and cultural integrity, bringing the laws inside the classroom and not treating people like they're less than. They need to be paid equitably. Mm -hmm. They needed to be treated with respect because we're on their unceded occupied lands. Who am I to render someone invisible? So for me, how can I be of service?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, I'll never forget Splash when I'm like, you know, this is behind the curtain stuff, you know, kind of like Wizard of Oz stuff. I'm like, you're my older brother. I want you to take first ownership and, 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 you know, in terms of publication. And he's like, no, I'm cool. (laughs) But we need to do that for uncle Shane. We need to do that for a lot of these other elders. And I remember sitting down with, with Shane and, I said, Shane. He doesn't. By the way, he hates the word elder, right? <laughs> he, he just he goes, you know. He he, he goes if you're going to call me anything, call me a soquam, which we call nuagames in our language, which which literally means you come before I do. And when I told that to Shane, he had this huge smile, and he goes, "I don't need a PhD, but coming from you, that means a lot." He said to me. So all I want to do at this stage in my life for you young people is I got about 10 or 15 years left, you know, in terms of my threshold for being around people who don't want to see transformation inside the academy is waning. Um, <laughs> right. I would like to really start to, to think about planting. I need I'm in succession planning mode. Mm-hmm. We need more of you young people to live according to your laws, write about your methodologies, do it in your own language. These are the most important things that I think are going to show our ancestors that we are abundant.
2: Beautiful. Yeah, the next question was then, what What do you have to, like, what advice would you give to us? And I think that you just tied that up so beautifully a splashing in a past past to you what what would your advice be to us youngins but i'm not really young but youngins
0: <laughs> uh yeah like well justin referred to this conversation we had with simon uh late simon baker um um he pulled a few of us aside uh when he was getting quite old and um he, he was kind of an interesting character in our, our nation like we didn't you know a lot of people didn't really know what to make of him um this is before people open conferences all the time with, you know, prayers and drums and stuff. And we didn't know what he was doing, you know, um, and he'd be all, you know, charming and goofy and he'd go to all these events. And we you know, a lot of people didn't know why. And uh, he pulled us aside one day when he was getting older and he said, yeah, I hear what they say about me. They say I'm a plastic Indian. And they think I'm a show off. They think I'm doing it for the money. And, you know, they think all kinds of things. They say, you know, they said it to him, I guess as well. And um, he said, but, Canadians make a lot of decisions every day that affect our lives. And he said, they don't know anything about us. And he said, I'll go anywhere, I'll accept any invitation so that they actually meet a Squamish person and know a little bit more about us before they make those decisions. He said, that's why I, that's why I accept all these crazy invitations and go all these goofy places. And he said, I'd hate for that to die with me. Um, And i don't think i'd ever heard him explain it before you know and he wasn't saying it loudly he was just saying it quietly to you know uh, a few us young men who i guess he thought you know might do some of that work after he was gone and it's kind of you know what what justin's saying like you know we we want change uh, and do let's do something about it um i don't actually expect the institutions to do all our work for us um it's a different kind of house justin's got that beautiful House that is his backdrop there, that beautiful, beautiful home for his people. Um, If there's a fire in that big house that keeps the people warm and they gather around that with drums, Justin's very far from there. He doesn't have the support of his, his family standing around him here. So I carved a little regalia paddle for him so that people would know that he's connected to our people. And uh, put the word for younger brother on there, so he know that he's family, um, so that he doesn't feel so lonely so far from home um, as so many people living in the city are um, i we're we're in this together, and he, the actions he takes actually affect our people here who who will stay here. Uh, our community will live here forever, hopefully, and if someone were to come and just get mad at people and you know when they get the upper hand to make people pay for how they've been treated, it would have a great effect on our working relationship with people here. So in some ways we're claiming him as family and he he, he acts like family. Um, I was expected to behave myself when I went into his big house and he behaves himself here. He, he does good work. He lives in a good way. Um, I was thinking about um, We're talking about being um erased in our own territory there's in the in the push to indigenize um people have been scrambling grabbing you know they know a guy you know they got a, someone's married to someone you know they get someone in their school or whatever and the only book available you know on amazon or whatever they, they grab something you know quick because they're you know they're feeling pressure to do something and uh, unfortunately a lot of it erases us here in our own territory um, they put up a totem pole they put up a button blanket in their school and And people have no idea who actually lived here historically or who continues to live here. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that was sort of central to what we were doing. Um, I know that as we traveled through many territories, we were, you know, we were, we were cut off in canoes, you know, at the edges of territories. And, uh, you know, we had to follow people in slowly in our canoe and we had to introduce ourselves before we, we entered, you know, before we were allowed to set foot on the shore. We had to explain who we were not not only acknowledge the territory, but, but but explain who we were and why we were there. Um, it was sort of a living embodiment of I, I think what people are trying to just just starting to get to with a territorial acknowledgement. Um, we we kept looking at that at that one idea uh, as central to our, our article, um, acknowledge where you are. So you're not doing further damage to the people there. And we also didn't think we would lose anything taking that approach um, because we we often have like, like, well, Shane again, we'll talk to you Shane again. He said, if you only got people you know at your potlatch saying things you've already heard, he said, that's a poor potlatch, you know, you're a poor man. He said, you should get out in the world more and make more friends, you know, you should, people should be excited to come, you know, they hear you're having a feast, they should be excited to come, even if they don't know you. Maybe they've heard of like, you know, the kind of feasts you hold or they, they should wanna come and and share teachings you've never heard of before and you see regalia you've never seen before and hear songs you've never heard and he said that's a rich potlatch so um we do want people to be here we do want them to speak up we do you know we do want people to share a variety of teachings but we also don't want it to erase us here um and and if we live true to our our chiach here we should be inviting people to speak as witnesses we should be inviting people to speak on our behalf we should not be going into people's houses and tell them how to live their lives. So in some ways, these institutions, we we know they're not going to do what we want. Mm-hmm. We know that we have other work we need to do in community. Uh, even if it's a, a found community here in the city center, um, we, we can still do this work. Um, I, it was a funny moment, uh, just telling that story. Uh, I was My, my mentor, Halak, I think, you know, just, I got in this epic rant about museums and archaeology and just, you know, going off about all the stuff that's been stolen from our territory and locked behind glass. And I, I, I think it was going on for quite a while. And um my mentor lacton, well, you know, because we were carving this big carving and he stops and he just he's just listening to me and he's just watching me for a while and I was just getting a real head of steam up. Uh very virtuous sounding about in my rage. And anyways, he's like he said, didn't they teach you to carve? really spent years teaching to carve. aren't you holding a carving knife right now he said why don't you make some new stuff and he just shook his head and went back to carving um it he had, every he had time for my my wallowing in that grief and uh he'd done the work he made sure that we you know if we want a canoe we can carve a canoe and uh you know he did all that work for free he took us on when we were just goofy goofy kids and taught us how to carve in a good way um so I'm not really expecting, um, I'm not expecting the institutions to solve our problems. Um, I've I've let go of that expectation and picked up, you know, I know that we, we can do it, but what I want the institutions to do is not, um, not teach us that our art is static and old-fashioned and primitive, you know. I don't want them thinking our potlatches are just expressions of vanity and only looking at it as a commercial venture. Um, you know, I, I, want, I want it to reflect some reality of our community. Mm-hmm. And for those students who are far from home, I want them to, to learn a little bit about who they are uh, and not erase it. So I want it to reflect a little bit of our values. And I, I think they are humanizing because I think they have to. The idea is of, you know, pure intellectualism. Like I've heard of an explanation of, of liberal thought. Like I've heard it comes from the Greeks you know, to liberate, mm-hmm. and it was to liberate from the toils of the hand. If you were liberated, that meant you didn't have to cook your own food or make your own sculptures, you know, or toil your own in your own fields. You were liberated because you had a slave class working for you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I kind of think that schools have that model: we can, we can liberate ourselves from, from this. And it's a weird model. Um, I think hand in hand in this, we can we become better human beings at those places. I think it's moving further from that model and becoming a bit more, a bit more interesting at those places. But in the end, it's our, we're not gonna be able to shoehorn our ceremonies into that place. It's never really going to work. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a it's a weird concrete fluorescent light building. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't doesn't feel like home. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the real loss, the real longing, I think, is that we don't have those things in our own communities anymore. We don't have those things in our own lives anymore. But we're starting to rebuild them, mm-hmm. um, and maybe they look different. But um, that expectation, more than anything, is what kind of drove me nuts early in this work. Um, and my expectations have shifted um, so that it supports, like, like our chief said, like be like a sheepdog and help people get home. Um, because when I went to school, you know, the way I learned, the few things I've learned about Indigenous people. It was nothing but contempt for our people for our culture and I felt like it would be safer to leave and never come back it would be smarter to leave and never come back and I think that's an injustice that we need to address but uh, we also need to rebuild our own homes and having some educated people um, come home with some you know, interesting teachings will be a big part of that
2: beautiful I guess, I guess my last question is, is how do I get an invite to breakfast?
0: <laughs> it's like it, some sing, singing involved, wasn't there?
2: <laughs> it? It's been a beautiful morning and I realize we've gone long over our time and I just, uh, my heart is so unbelievably full with uh, what you've shared with us today and what the, our listeners are going to be able to share. Um, and gather from from your stories and your words and I highly recommend everybody take a look at the article looking back to the potlatch as a guide to truth reconciliation and transformative learning um, and take a good look at the questions that you guys have proposed in there and how to do this work and um, how to relook at how we teach and my heart is full thank you
1: I just, uh, can I weave one last thing in?
2: Of course.
1: Um, you know, I remember talking to Halistes, and she used this phrase, you know, kind of like Joanne. You know, I always think of Joanne. Was it 1955? we were allowed to go to higher learning without having to enfranchise. Yep. There's, there's some really important things that I think would be great research topics in terms of developing models to support, I, you know, remember, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist, so I always think about things in terms of critical incidents. The training required to not only draw awareness, but also prevention. Voluntary enfranchisement has never gone away. It's becoming more sophisticated. Mm. You know, this is what I was saying. In order that's it's what Baldwin wrote about, you know, the price of a ticket, the cost of a ticket. Included in that is how do we navigate benevolent paternalism, and false generosity, virtue signaling performant uh, performativity. A lot of people want the the cult, the you know, they want the culture, but they don't want the struggle, or the messiness that comes with it. And In a lot of ways, it's chaotic. You know, they they like things in nice, neat packages and boxes. And that's not how we roll as people. Mm -hmm. But I want to give the last word to, you know, from Halistes, who said something to me, because she's been in education for a really long time with the TRC, with the apology. I'll never forget the apology of Stephen Harper reading that out. And even though I questioned the sincerity of, of what I was hearing, and how it was being said, I still, I still wept. Mm-hmm. And now, fast forward to the TRC and findings of cultural genocide. Fast forward to Dripa. Fast forward to the two fifteen. You know, in in a lot of ways, that old African par- uh, uh, par- uh, parable. You know, they thought they buried us but they didn't realize we were seeds. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, Paul, my, Polly Waterfall said, it's time for us to wake up from our colonial coma. This is where I think the younger generation needs to begin to weave together how to, like Splash is saying, there are certain things that are tangible to you operating within the academy, and then there's gonna be some things that remain untangible, like, you know, when we were in Hawaii um, for the Heia Hanua Conference, just after the Christchurch massacre, one of the uh, Wahine Kapunas there, it, we were there's like 400 of, our, 400 of us on the Maui College campus and we were all holding hands and we, they were, holding a ceremony to send the positive energy and the elders calculated it would take about seven to eight hours for our energy to reach Christ church. It was a very powerful day for us. And I'll end here. She asked us, what's the trick to walking on water? Immediately, I went to Jesus and all this other stuff. (laughs) But then we all just sat there waiting for her, and she said, know where the rocks are. So all of you young folks, as you begin to embrace your laws, speak in your own languages, write in your own languages, how can we be of service to the local people here that have been here for a very long time? How can we become better relatives? And that's what I acknowledged, I'm learning how to become a better relative. Mm -hmm. We need more cultural humility. That's the prerequisite to this work. Mm -hmm. And then we can move towards cultural security. And for all of you academics, cultural freedom Mm -hmm. in parity with academic freedom and collegiality. Which, by the way, coincidentally, the etymology of which is to be in community. Mm. We're either in the canoe, paddling in unison, or we're kind of splashing around, flailing, eh? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh,
2: one of
0: my one of my little cousins. Um, uh, he didn't live with my uncle, and then and then he, he came back to our family up in uh, up in Jackness. Um when I when I joke about my village being twice as big now that they put the second house in, it was it's sort of the edge of the world up in up in Paradise Valley in Squamish. Uh one of my little cousins came came back to live with us and he'd been living in the city for a while. So I don't know what grade he was in five or something, and he went fishing for the first time in his life and caught his first fish and so proud and he went to school and for show and tell they you know, he went up and told his story about catching his first fish and uh the, t- the teacher you know turned to the class afterwards and said and that's why there's no more fish the indians catch them all <laughs> and it was just this like and he came home and told my uncle and my uncle's a you know he was like kind of a angry guy and even <laughs> he was just like what like that is so stupid
1: <laughs> and he went
0: to the school and he just he said he couldn't even get mad it was just like the dumbest thing he'd ever heard but but so hurtful right to a little kid yeah. but Ready? i know a lot of indigenous people have that same story like a version of that same story Um, unfortunately, and, you know, Justin and I often talked about, um, you know, we, we give like, we do a lot of work and we write it as clear as we can and we provide this sort of intellectual information and we're simply providing more sophisticated racism, another opportunity for that same racist moment. And, um, in our our community in Squamish, they often talk about not leaving, uh, not leaving things laying around, not leaving teachings laying around. So I wouldn't leave a carving knife on the floor, you know, at a school, you know, hope that if a kid picks it up, they do the right thing with it. And I also maybe wouldn't like to leave an intellectual teaching leg around an institution where someone could pick it up and turn to the class and make a comment. Even during territorial acknowledgements, you know, just like two, three years ago, I remember a principal did a territorial acknowledgement, waited a beat, and then raised an eyebrow. And it was very, very clear they were supposed to say it. And from tone of voice and by through gestures and body language, it was clear it was just something stupid they were supposed to do. And it came through loud and clear to the entire student body. So there, there has to be more than information. There has to be more than the teaching. There has to be some way of uh, um, uh, showing, showing how we use these teachings. There has to be room in institutions for us to show what, what we do with the, the information, rather than just sort of leaving it laying around. Um, as my grandfather would say, writing is just leaving, leaving stuff laying around. We have to, we have to do a little bit more than that. And there has to be a bit more room in the institutions than that. Um, some context around those teachings. I'm
2: writing it down.
0: <laughs> that, that's what I miss about breakfast.
2: <laughs>
1: right
0: there. Right? Mm-hmm. Hey, have you ever noticed nope. if you repeat, repeat your elders, you sound pretty smart. <laughs>
2: What a great conversation. I'm so thankful for both of you today. And every day. I'm just going to say every day, even though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I read
2: <here> Yeah. <laughs> Walking in Relation is hosted by Carolyn Roberts and is produced and edited by Calder Chavaree. Each episode contains original music by Carolyn Roberts and Julie Prosnick featuring Tilden Webb on piano, Jody Prosnick on stand-up bass, Ramona Elke on drum and vocals, and Dante on shakers. Musical Engineering by Sheldon Zaharko and Monarch Studios. A very special thanks to Aaron Nelson Moody and Justin Wilson for such a good conversation today about so many amazing topics. And I am so thankful for the laughs and being able to listen and reflect on so many beautiful things today. Thank you so much for being here today. And to Simon Fraser University's Indigenous Digital Media Grant, whose funding helped to support this project. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Take good care, everyone. And we hope that you'll come and listen again.